to season three of the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kelby Bachman, and the song you just heard is Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. And it is also the walkout song for the next guest on the show, Philip Ketty. So Philip is from Vernal, Utah, and was a two-time state champ for Uenta High School. Philip went on to wrestle at the University of Iowa and became a three-time All-American. He was also a part of three Big Ten and NCAA team champions. And in my opinion, Philip was the glue of those teams. He was tough, gritty, and just someone you could always count on to get the job done. That's why he was my favorite wrestler during that time. Philip now lives back in his hometown of Vernal and is the head wrestling coach at his alma mater. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Philip Ketty. How long have you been coaching? So uh, eight years here as is I've been back here in Vernal for eight years mm-hmm. and five of them I've been the head coach. And then obviously Hawkeye Wrestling Club, part of our job was the coach, but it's just not the same role, you know what I mean, as being um, in charge. It's just more individual at that, on that side. Mm-hmm. Did you always know you were going to or, or did you always want to go back to your hometown? Not really. I mean, I loved the mountains and I love the outdoor yeah. stuff. That's something that's a big part of my life that I love and enjoy. Um, but I liked Iowa City and I liked Iowa, especially because the culture of wrestling fans is completely different than anywhere I'd ever been. And so I really enjoyed living there. I probably uh, could have stayed there, um, but my wife is from here also and then once we started having kids it just made a lot of sense to move back and be back around family and and i'm happy being here for sure Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's what you know having kids growing up around family is always you know i was just back home a couple weeks ago last weekend you know two weeks whatever two weeks ago and um talked to my grandma about it how how nice it was just to grow up around her and my grandpa and my aunts and uncles like it just I don't know it's you take it for granted a little bit um but when you get older you just seem to appreciate it you know yeah I think you look at it and most of our entertainment family entertainment the things that we enjoy has some sort of tie to going to some family member's house or (laughs) yes or or even our camping trips you know we get three or four family members together and we all go camping and let the kids play together. And that type of stuff is, it's not replicable without family. So, right. Yeah. So like growing up then, you know, you grew up out there around your family, I assume as well also. Yeah. So, you know, I moved here when I was pretty young, we, we moved around a lot before that. My dad was in the Navy and then, when he got out of the Navy, he moved back here because it's where he's from. My mom was, you know, from close to Vernal also. So we're both from Utah. So we moved back here when I was seven. And I've lived I lived here all the way up through high school. So um good family ties here and in, in this yeah. community. And and it's nice to coach for a school that I have, you know, pride in prior to coming here. So Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, did you did you always think you were going to get into coaching? Um, No, you know, it's kind of one of those things you don't think about even at all until you start to realize that your career might be over, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
obviously, you know, that option is kind of there because especially when I graduated and started getting offers to coach. Um, so obviously then that forces you to think about it, but, uh, until my career was over, you know, based on injuries, I kind of knew that I wanted it and, and, and enjoyed it, but I didn't know what I wanted. Mm-hmm. How'd you end up back then, uh, in your hometown? I mean, it seems like it could be an easy transition or easy fit, but you know, what were the circumstances that even led you to get back there? So, uh, in 2015, um, I basically had my fourth consecutive injury. Mm. Uh, so four years in a row, I had something that was preventing me from wrestling. I, uh, Basically, I tore my right my right groin in half, and then I Ooh. tore my left groin off the bone, and then I broke and sprained my right ankle, and then as soon as that got healthy, I broke and sprained my left ankle. So, so going into the twenty fifteen World Team Trials, I'd qualified, mm-hmm. I'd qualified for the trials by winning the the last chance tournament, but I wasn't healthy enough to go to the open, so I had to go to that last chance tournament, mm-hmm. and I I just. You know, I, I basically got to the point where I was losing to people I didn't feel like I should lose to, and it was based on injury, and it, it tears you kind of, kind of tears you up. Mm-hmm. So, so at that point, I kind of knew in 2015 that it was probably I was probably done. And my high school coach, I was really close with, and I had talked to him quite a bit, you know, throughout my career, and I told him what was going on and that I was probably going to be done you know? And so I started talking to him and, and, uh, he reached out to me saying he was still the head coach at the time, but he wanted to bring me back so I could take over for him so he could be done. Yeah. And so he reached out there and, and to be completely honest, things at that point weren't great at Mm -hmm. Iowa. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, those relationships change over time and, and, uh, it was probably time to leave. So even though, you know, it was good. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't necessarily the same anymore at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you why you decide to move on from competing. Cause you, you seem like you were having some pretty good success, you know, in the later part of those years in 2013, you know, you were third at the world team trials, even in 2015, when you had those injuries, like you had, you went fifth at the, the Oregon, you won the Northern Plains, like, you had some success at the senior level and then it just unfortunately yeah, I, like you just couldn't do it anymore. And I was like, yeah, That's, you know? it's weird. You know, I'm, I'm my whole career, like I was extremely healthy up until my senior year of college. So I didn't really deal with any injuries prior to that. And so I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I probably looking back, didn't handle them as well as I could have. Um, you know, I, I herniated two discs in my neck uh, at the U.S. Open after my junior year. So my whole senior year, I was kind of just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And and Terry, honestly, did a really good job getting me to believe. I just, it was me. I was too stubborn. You know, I had gone my whole life thinking I had to grind. Mm-hmm. And I had to be in that practice room every day grinding to think I could win. So I had a hard time for a while just believing that, hey, I could 
you know, do hard airdyne workouts and drill and I could go out there and still win. So it took me a long time, but by the end of that, that season, I started to buy in and I started to get it. And I mean, I got on the podium, it wasn't pretty, but, uh, that kind of was like the first of many where I would kind of like take these, you know, these steps forward and then an injury would bring me back and then steps forward and an injury would bring me back. And I don't really necessarily um, blame those injuries because I could have been smarter about it. You know, the way I was good, I felt like was my explosiveness, but a lot of times that explosiveness kind of caused those injuries. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I, I think I, one, you know, my high school inducted me last year. And so I had to like look at my career in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I won nine international medals, you know, at international tournaments. And so I think that's, that's something that's a good accomplishment, but it just wasn't anywhere close to my goals. Mm-hmm. And so I just basically looked at it as, you know, I gotta, I gotta try to find a way to reach goals that doesn't involve using my body because it just wasn't holding up anymore. Mm -hmm. So I don't really regret that side of it. It's just, you look back on your career differently as you get older. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you, you kind of mentioned that you didn't really face injury problems until your senior year of college, which is pretty remarkable, but it's always, you know, when you, when you feel like you're invincible, you know, and then you, deal with an injury and you realize I'm not, you know, that can really throw you for a loop, especially when you're trying to reach the goals that you, that you had. Yeah. I think that's a a good point is I didn't, I I trained a certain way, which was like, almost like ignore the way you feel, you know what I mean? And like, I never even, I never even broke a bone my whole life. So I just didn't know how to, brain smart like I didn't know how to back off I didn't know how to do that stuff and through those injuries I started to learn but it was almost too late so Mm -hmm. but you know senior year was was rough and then I took time to heal up and I came back and I did well and and then I just you know kind of those injuries kind of were peppered throughout that international career even though uh, there were some good results there was plenty of tournaments where I was completely healthy and still didn't win. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's really, that's more where I want to look at it from my perspective is it wasn't an injury that prevented me from winning. It was probably more what made me decide to retire. Mm-hmm. Man, have you ever thought about it where you look at your career and you're like, how did I not get injured the way you trained and the way you wrestled? Like <laughs> you went a long time and wrestled hard and uh, were explosive for so long and you never you never got dinged up you, I mean I'm sure maybe you got dinged up but you never had an, another injury you didn't break a bone that's pretty that's yeah. quite impressive. I mean, I mean obviously <laughs> fingers and things like that but those don't those don't really count so like real <laughs> anything like serious I mean yeah I had weak but nothing that held me out for more than a week or so you know and mm-hmm. and that was all the way you know red shirt year all the way through those uh, freshman, sophomore, junior seasons, like mm-hmm. healthy, and I could wrestle hard and I could train hard. You kind of get, you kind of take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And so, what about, yeah. What about growing up? Uh, you know, in high school, you know, um, two-time state champ, 
you know, did were you always a wrestler? Did you come from a wrestling family? You know, I know. so when I when we moved back here, I had an uncle that wrestled that was good. And our high school, UN wrestling, has a like a big tradition of mm-hmm. wrestling. It's it's popular in our town. Um we had our our high school had won twenty-three state championships. Wow. Uh before my coaching career so me growing up we had 23 state championships so this town and community cared about wrestling so it was a big part of our, our culture and i went and watched one of my uncles wrestle and watched him in that environment and thought how cool it was and it just kind of planted that seed of that's what i want to do never ever thought or even do the option of of uh, going to college was there it really wasn't on the on the radar for me. In fact, I hadn't even watched a college wrestling match until I went on a recruiting trip to the University of Minnesota. It was the first time I ever saw a college wrestling match. So it wasn't necessarily like um, something I planned on or even was exposed to, but it definitely was popular from the high school aspect uh, in my mm-hmm. Yeah, and you also were pretty pretty solid football player too. You know, was that ever a path you, you thought you were going to go down? You know, I loved football. It was definitely something that was super enjoyable to me. Um, but my main goal was I wanted to be a pilot. So I was trying to I was trying to get into the Naval Academy to be a Navy pilot. I wanted to go to Annapolis, Maryland, and, and that was kind of my dream. And so I had worked on, like, the grades, and I had got – my recommendations and I was all that set to go basically be a Navy pilot. That was my dream. So really football and wrestling were what I enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. But my my goal at that point was actually to go be a Navy pilot. And then my senior year I just started having like national level success and started getting recruited. And it was kind of just like, well, these opportunities obviously can't be overlooked. And and uh, really, when I went to Iowa, saw Carver Hawkeye Arena, saw that they averaged five thousand fans for a duel at that time, it was like it was like completely different than everything anything I'd ever seen. And that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of changed my mind towards the wrestling path. So football wasn't really wasn't really a thought either, just like wrestling. But that opportunity was was what uh, changed my mind. Wow. So how, how close were you to actually going to the Naval? Like, were you accepted? Were you? So I wasn't accepted and it, and it, it was more that I probably would have gotten through wrestling. Um, it's crazy. I actually had a, a high school classmate get in. Um, so I probably would have taken his spot and they would have gotten me in through wrestling, but he academically was good enough to get in. Now I was, I was, I was good. But mm-hmm. as far as academics go, it's just um, obviously it's not something that's easy to get into. But I think because they wanted me for wrestling, you know, Navy wanted me to wrestle there, I could got in through through wrestling. So mm-hmm. I wasn't to the point where I've been accepted or anything like that. Um, I went to the Ironman, and when I won that, it was kind of just like, well, it looks like you're most likely going to be wrestling in college. So <laughs> once I decided that. Um, I lean more towards the school that I was going to be wrestling. Mm-hmm. What about the Air Force Academy? Was that ever a thought too? 
Um, my dad was in the Navy, so you just have this, <laughs> have this like, uh, almost like this rivalry view of the other branches, <laughs> which is weird. I mean, even though I wasn't, you know, I, I lived in, I was born in Japan. I lived in uh, Nevada and California because my dad, you know, was in the Navy, so we moved. And so I kind of had that, that going up mentality of, the Navy's just better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're five years old and you have uh, literally the top gun jets flying over your house, it kind of sets that that seed of that's what I wanted to do. So it was yeah. like Navy or nothing, basically, at that point. So you said you were born in Japan. Yeah, my dad was actually wow. stationed in Misawa, um, which is an Air Force base, but he was there because he was uh, an electrician for the Navy, basically working on those jets. Wow. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that's where that interest came from, was from seeing those as a little kid. You can imagine the pressure when you're five, seeing you know, jets take off, and you get to go right up next to them and see how cool they are, so yeah cool and so then you moved you said you moved here um and you were in nevada um did you say california yeah i lived in san diego also wow yeah and then you know i had a a high school um kid that was a few years older than me he he came out of the same high school and he went on to wrestle at university of minnesota which is Probably heard the name Ryan Lewis. He's from the same yeah. school. Wow. So, so basically, that's kind of where that, you know, hey, Ryan did it. I can do it type of thought came from instead of switching from the, the pilot to the wrestling side. Yeah. Was it a little difficult to get into organized sports if you were moving around so much as a, as a kid? Well, I was luckily, I was pretty young. So we did like, clubs up and I did some other sports at those places but you know I was young enough I was only seven when we moved here so you know most okay. most of my um actual sports experience was from this town so I, I don't even know what I did in those other places I can't remember <laughs> yeah well how did you get into wrestling like so we have a little we have like a a tiger league is what they call it it's like for beginner wrestling it's just like a six-week introduction to sports wrestling and you kind of just have um high school kids run it or other you know uh, ex-high school wrestlers help coach and they just kind of you know local tournament stuff like in your own town and you just do six weeks so i started that um because i saw my uncle wrestle started doing that and then it was kind of just like, oh, you, you know, you won that. So you just keep doing it. And then mm -hmm. um, I didn't wrestle a lot of freestyle. I didn't do a lot of that stuff. It was because I did football and I cared about that. And it wasn't, yeah. wasn't as, as popular then either, especially for, for Utah. We just wasn't a focus. But it was definitely always my main sport because I was successful at it. And it's an individual sport. So you just see it more. Mm -hmm. success more from the individual yeah so when did you like then really start to take it seriously i would say uh 
like that. I actually uh, quit wrestling my fifth grade year. I oh, thought, really? Yeah, I thought that, oh, I'm not going to wrestle anymore. I'm just going to, you know, snowboard or whatever it was that I wanted to do at the time. I think yeah. I was, I'm just going to snowboard this this winter and I'm not going to do it. And and I, I didn't wrestle my fifth grade year and it like made me realize how much I liked it. It was kind of that next season. It was like completely different for me. All of a sudden I cared about it and I wanted to win. Um, and I had some teammates win junior high state, which would be like that went to like AAU. Yeah. Um, and so he won junior high state. And I was just like, man, I could do that. So then by my eighth grade year, I won. And then obviously I was I was wanting to, you know, continue that success in in high school. And mm-hmm. you know, gotta wrestle with some good kids too, you know, like you know, Kyler Sanderson was at Wasatch and yeah. A kid named Colton Salazar is who I had lost to in the finals as a sophomore and he wrestled for Purdue. In fact, they wrestled each other in the Big Ten finals, you know, Purdue and Penn State when <laughs> so like there was good competition that I had here in the state of Utah at that time. So mm-hmm. kind of helped us all elevate our abilities. Yeah. How good were you guys at football? We were like above average. I oh, mean, okay. Mm-hmm. I think we were like we we were qualified. I think we were seated like fourth going into the state tournament. Mm-hmm. So we were good, um, but we didn't perform as well. As the, like, I think we lost the second round. So we were just above average. I mean, you feel like you could have you could have done better, but I don't really know compared to those other teams. You know, we obviously didn't. We we had a, a decent team every year. So mm-hmm. yeah. And so, you know, your junior year, um, you finally get that state title. Was that, um, were your first couple of years in high school a little difficult because you probably had these lofty expectations and or, and goals and seemed to fall a little bit short? Yeah, I think it's, it's like kind of nice to look back and use my perspective on how I was thinking to help me coach now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really not what you would think. Um, so basically my freshman year, and I tell this story to my athletes because I think it helps us to realize what these kids are thinking when you're young is I cut a lot of weight and I did it wrong. I didn't do it, you know, I basically just starved myself and wouldn't eat anything, wouldn't drink anything and didn't work out as much as I should have. So I basically just starved myself to get down the weight, which I rested 130 that season. Um, and I, you know, I pinned the kid that took third at the state tournament, and then I got beat out, and I got beat out because at that point, you could make weight the night before, and I checked my weight, and I was nine pounds over, and I I didn't want to make it, so I lost on purpose, and I literally remember having a kid in an armbar, which I was really good at. And, and I could have turned him, and I just lay there on top because I didn't want to win. <laughs> and so I, I look back on that perspective as a freshman and, and remember how miserable I was doing things wrong. And I try to use that to help empathize and relate to these kids and help teach them how to do things the right way. Because you know you can lose a lot of motivation 
uh, based on how you um, handle that weight cut and do it the right way. So anyway, so my freshman year, I was good. I wasn't good enough to win, and I didn't have the right mentality, plain and simple. I, I basically uh, didn't play because of that. But the next year, I figured out the weight cut thing, and I lifted a ton. So basically, I was like, I don't want to cut weight, so I'm just going to try to get big and strong, so I don't have to. So that whole year, I lifted all summer long. And it's weird how um, sometimes you realize you're good just because all of a sudden you're weighing. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but mm -hmm. you, you kind of just all of a sudden find yourself, hey, I can beat all these guys. None of them are better than me, and then I'm in the state finals. And and then you, you once you know that, then all of a sudden you really are good because now you believe that you're good, and that's like the biggest hurdle is to get to the point where you believe that you're good. And, and so I started to think I was good because I took second that year even though I had a good record all year long. Then mm -hmm. here I just kind of felt like, you know, I'm good. So how's anybody going to beat me type of thing? So even though I never went undefeated, I um, found ways to mess that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I I like that perspective or that story your freshman year. I mean, um, back in that day, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, like that, that's just sort of what we did cut a lot of weight we cut it the wrong way and i'm sure there's a lot of people who won't want to maybe admit it but yeah probably lost on purpose because they were sick of the weight cut they were, were just done you know and so for you to be able to share that perspective with your athletes and you know and just use that as motivation for them to not cut weight i mean i think that'll that just is it to me, relatability is such a big thing. So I, I feel like for me, if I heard that from a coach, I would really be able to take that in and respect that coach even more that they're able to put themselves in my shoes, you know, and see what maybe I might be going through and just have that respect and that relatability. So. Yeah, for sure. I think when it comes to cutting weight. Yeah. That's all I used to always say, you know, you just want to be hungry like the wolf. You know, you you got to be lean and mean and hungry like the wolf. That doesn't mean that you definitely don't want to be fat like a cat. So there's definitely a fine line, you know. You don't need to cut every little thing cutting weight. Yeah. And that's kind of what most high school kids do. They call everything cutting weight. Mm -hmm. There's a right way. And if, if you're eating and working out a bunch, that's the, the recipe for feeling good. Yeah. And so then you go out a two-time state champ, you know, um, at a wrestling rich town, you know, you kind of etch yourself in, in the history books there. How, how sweet was that to, to not only win one, but then to come back and repeat the next year. A lot of people say that's always the tougher task is to repeat because you got that target on your back. Yeah. Um, I definitely tell my kids that to set the, the hardest state title win to win is the second one. Tell mm -hmm. every state champ I have that. It's something about the motivation that changes too sometimes. Uh, yeah, good point. Uh, I think that's a factor in in that. But if, looking back on my career, to be honest, it was the state tournament to me was um, not like this, just being honest, the state of Utah is not that tough. So 
just the state tournament for me was not necessarily something that I looked at as a goal that was going to be difficult. It was kind of just like, hey, this is one step mm -hmm. uh, in my senior year that's going to get me where I want to go. But I was already kind of like planning on much tougher things. You know, we went to the Ironman and we went to a lot of tough tournaments that season. So the state tournament was kind of like, you know, just take care of business. Mm -hmm. and it should go um, the way I planned. So and that's, that's a credit to just how good you were also. I mean, you know, not to slight Utah, it's a good wrestling state. You just happen to be on another level, basically. Yeah, probably at that time, you know, it, especially because um, because I had that experience going to, to national level tournaments, kind of, it, it gives you another level of confidence, which I think is important uh -huh. for school kids now is, you know, if they freeze up on the big stage at a state tournament. The best way to solve that is let's go to a bunch of bigger tournaments all over the country, and this won't seem like that big of a deal. Right. Um, there's different pressures, you know, and you're never going to get away from that, but you learn to, to deal with it better. So, so yeah, you like I said, we definitely had tough individuals in our state, especially uh, those years. And, and both our team and Wasatch's team were ranked top 25 in the country that my junior wow. team. So we were both good teams. Hmm. And so, and it was just, uh, I think it was that national level experience that kind of made me feel like, hey, this is just another step. Yeah. Well, um, I want to ask you about your first couple of years. So you go to Iowa and your first couple of years um, didn't probably go as you, as well as you hoped, you know, you go from being top dog, you know, um, two-time state champ, one of the best in the nation. And then you go to Iowa and your first couple of years, you know, especially like your freshman year, you had a losing record, you know, it wasn't success right away you know how did you kind of handle those first couple of years at Iowa so there are a couple things that I think play a big factor um in that in that turnaround number one I didn't have high goals and expectations going in that's that's being honest I didn't know that my goal was to be a national champ because I didn't grow up thinking that and I wasn't around it. So like one thing I wish that I could have been like told that I try to help my kids with now is like, you know, you can, you can have these aspirations to be great on every level and you got to be exposed to it. Now these kids can go watch, you know, the national tournament, they can watch big 10 network. They can watch these high level wrestlers and high level wrestling from a young age and it's it's really a a way that's going to help our younger kids get better quicker and i think we see that but for me going to iowa was the accomplishment at that time really so i had signed i'm going to iowa like my goal wasn't to go there and win a national title i hadn't even really thought about it like yeah oh i'm gonna go there they're gonna make me good that's just kind of how it was mm -hmm. that was my thought process so that's the first mistake is my my goals and thinking wasn't on the right level. Um, I just thought because I was going there, I was going to be good, but my goals weren't to be great. And that's because I wasn't exposed to it. 
you know, one of my, you know, you know, Metcalf, my teammate and really good friend, like his whole life, as soon as he started wrestling, he wanted to be like Tom and Terry wanted to win a national title. Mm -hmm. And so he steps into there trying to win right away. And that's why he has such great success is because his mind was right. My mind was not there when I got to Iowa. Red shirt year, I didn't even get a wrestle because I got herpes really bad. So I wrestled like five matches, mm-hmm. maybe. So, but I did, you know, Paul Bradley was a starter. And so I got to wrestle him a bunch and I wrestle off. It was like three to two. So I knew I could compete at a high level. So problem one, my mentality was wrong. And then my red shirt, my true, you know, my first year as a starter, 16 and 14, losing record. And I just couldn't hold up. That's the truth. Like all of the ability was there. I mean, I could take everybody down. I think uh, who won? I think Pasillo, he might have No, he didn't win that year. But he he All-American. Um, Varner. All those guys. I, I could compete huh. with all of them. I take them down, I could ride them, all this stuff. I, I was competing with all those guys. And then come the third period, they I just wouldn't hold up. They they would find a way to beat me. They'd ride me like crazy, get riding time points. And and it was just kind of probably from my mind. So at that, I qualify at the Big Tens. I go to the national tournament. Uh, I lose my first match kid from one of the twins from central Michigan. Then I win one match. And then, so basically I go one and two, I'm pretty sure at the national tournament. And it's in, it's actually in, uh, it was in Michigan that year. And I walk back in the tunnel and I'm sitting like against the wall, just like pretty disappointed because kind of felt like it was wasted. Like you don't realize that and the season's over and you're sitting in the corner and I felt like it was wasted. Um, Tom Brands walked back there and he basically sat me against the wall and he said, you basically have to harness how you feel right now, or you have to like take this feeling and I want you to remember it every single day. Take to how you feel right now and make sure you never feel like this again. And it meant a lot to me because he had just come in uh, Zaleski and those Hartung they had left mm-hmm. and, you know, Tom had just come in and, and he was basically taking over this program and, and he's, he was my coach now. And I basically just bought in a hundred percent and I bought in because his, his expectation was we're going to win. And it was so easy for me to just be like, I'm on board with that. So I took that feeling and I had all the abilities already. I didn't change or learn a magic move. Like I didn't learn anything special. I just flipped this light switch and decided I'm going to be a winner. And I changed the way I thought and I competed every second and I made sure nobody was going to ride me anymore. And like I said, I didn't learn anything new. It was all, it was all in my head and, and Tom kind of just let me see that. And, and then you got guys like Metcalf who are training in the room now and, and Perry was there. And so you have all these winners around you and you just are like, well, I'm not going to be the guy that doesn't win. You know, you look at that lineup back then, everybody was expecting to win and it sure like brings everybody to another level. 
Yeah. Now, um, real quick, what was it like to have to go through that coaching change? You know, um, I don't think we really put ourselves in the in the shoes of the athlete when a coaching change happens and what that does to the athlete. And maybe it didn't affect you too much. But, you know, when you heard, you know, that was your first year there, you know, that Zaleski and, and Hartung and them were out and now they're bringing in a new regime. You know, was that was that difficult for you? Like, did you it, even think about leaving? It, it was very weird um, because I didn't understand it. So for me, it was like Hartung was my guy. Like he was my coach. He's the one that recruited me. He's definitely the one that I worked out with all the time and that he was developing me. So that was hard. Um, and then we took fourth that year, my red shirt year. So I was, I didn't really understand it because it was my first year there. I didn't understand like, man, is that really, uh, is it really worth getting rid of this guy? Like, is he like, that's not acceptable kind of, you know? Yeah. Looking back. And now like that, I, I get, I'm not going to say what happened, but things that happened in that program at that time, they just, they shouldn't have ever happened at a high level program. And so, and, and I didn't know that at the time, but it just wasn't that serious to everybody. Does that make sense? So some of the guys yeah. on the team would do things that just weren't that taking it that serious, I guess. I, I, that's the best way I can put it. But so now I kind of understand why they got rid of them. But so that was the the negative side. But on the positive side, Perry had been there. Um, Perry was a national finalist at that point already. And <laughs> the first thing he said to me was, Tom Brands is coming and we're going to win. And that's literally what he said. He's like, Tom Brands is coming. He's going to bring Metcalf with him and we're going to win. And so it didn't take very long for me to be like, oh, sweet. This is going to be awesome. Like, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I had, I had committed to the University of Minnesota before that, before I went to Iowa, which is, this mm -hmm. is a side story. There was some, some bad Basically, my scholarship wasn't there, so I didn't go there, and I ended up going to Iowa, which is crazy. My parents didn't want me to go to Minnesota, but the reason I tell you this is because Minnesota won my redshirt year. They won that year, and my parents were like felt really guilty because they did not want me to go there, and then they won. And so at that point, I was like, well, hopefully we can win because Minnesota won and I was going to go there. <laughs> so basically it was an interesting uh, turn of events with that coaching change, but it didn't take long to get on board because Perry had, had been there and had experience and he was like, Hey, this is a good thing. So hold up. So if you would have had the money or if that scholarship would have been there, would you have been a golden, uh, a golden golfer? Oh, hundred percent. So wow. So, and, and, you know, this is just the truth and J Rob admits it, like it, he screwed up. Like it wasn't on, I don't know that it was on purpose. He made me an offer. I accepted it. And then basically that amount of money wasn't available. And so when that wasn't available, I said, okay, I'm going to take my last two visits. And I went to uh, Nebraska and Iowa, and then I signed with Iowa. 
So wow. yeah, it was, it was, you know, Ryan Lewis had that connection. He'd wrestled there. I liked mm-hmm. him. He was from my high school. Ryan yeah. did really well. Um, we knew them really well. And so, yeah, it was, it was close. I verbally committed to them If they would have had the money they offered. I probably, I mean, I wasn't going to break my commitment, so I was going to go there. Yeah. Wow. My parents did not want me to go there though. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What was the, what was the, the thinking behind that why were they so against uh they, they felt like uh jay was too much businessman it was all business to him he didn't they didn't feel like uh the connection or relationships was was the same as they felt with they liked iowa and nebraska so hmm. and it was more just from like their view on the coach mm-hmm. and i yeah. like jay i, I had nothing nothing against jay it was just that's that was how they felt mm-hmm. yeah well um so i just released an episode last week it was sat, uh last friday um with an ex-teammate or former teammate i should say of yours joe johnston okay. and um he actually sort of alluded to something what you what you talked about earlier where you know he showed up and he felt a little bit like the black sheep where he wanted to come in and work hard and just, you know, put his nose to the grindstone or what have you. And he sort of got the sense that that wasn't the feeling across the program at that time. So to hear you echo sort of the same, you know, the same message, if you will, um, you know, that's like you said, there's reasons behind it that we don't need to get into, but, you know, if you just kind of read between the lines, you can tell that that just wasn't uh, the, as a program as a whole. Iowa just didn't seem as maybe bought in as some of the other programs. And you saw yeah. it in the results, you know, the, easy, the easiest way to put it is now looking back, it's so easy to see because I've experienced both. But mm-hmm. really what it was, was you all those kids that went there were good. Right. Yeah. They just they just they didn't have like that vision to where everybody was going to be great. And Tom kind of brought that in where like, Hey, this is the expectation. And when you have that higher standard, it's like automatically elevates everybody just a little bit. And then it, it eliminates the stuff that can be distractions. Like, you know, everybody likes to have fun and can party, but there's a right time and a wrong time. And I think when your standard is super high, makes all that stuff really easy to do Mm -hmm. right you know you make the right decisions because hey i want to win i might as well give myself the best chance in every aspect of my life why not yeah so that's kind of looking back how it was a a benefit to me so Mm -hmm. and so that sorry go ahead and that's where tom is really good like uh, and like you know we he's we have our problems like after college, but college, he was, he's really good at helping you like understand and make your mind strong. Like he makes you feel like you can win. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I thought that was, you know, he got me to that level quick and that was awesome. Yeah. Cause I mean, you went from losing record to all American in, yeah. in a year. I mean, and you kind of alluded to it. A lot of it was just your mindset. Um, and I know you get asked about this a lot, but um, I love your answer to it. So I just want to ask you about it 
as well for my listeners, but um, your mentality about being at bottom, being on bottom and how you became so good at escapes. And basically you talk about how it was a mindset. And so I just want you to, you know, open the, open the floor here and just, just share what that, what that means to you or how you came to that, to that thinking. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, (laughs) honestly, I bet if I was known for anything in my career, it's probably my stand up or on bottom, which I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. Like you, you, you wish it would probably be something better, like, you know, winning a national title, but, but it is something that's good because it's an important position, especially now that I'm a coach and teaching it. So um, if you look at my matches as a freshman, I couldn't get away. Like I could not, I, everybody rode me. Um, I could be winning a match. I get taken down. I'm down by one and I just get ridden out to lose. And it happened a bunch. I mean, 16 losses that freshman year. So um, it really was like, I'm going to make up my mind that that's not going to happen. Like I literally am just going to decide I'm never going to get ridden again. And, and that decision automatically translates in the way you train. So so I have a really fast, explosive, fast twitch body. Like my my stand-up is really, really fast. And that's just, you know, I'm blessed by God to have that. I don't think that's anything that I developed. But I just took advantage of that by changing my mentality. So when I teach my kids now, it's you don't have to stand up as fast as I do. There, It, it doesn't even matter as long as you've made up your mind that nobody's going to ride you and you keep moving to get to your feet over and over and over again, it's going to be the exact same result, whether it's a half a second and you're out or it's 50 seconds and there's no riding time and you're out. doesn't really make a difference as long as you're getting to your feet. So, um, and I had Gable come in that year too. So he, he was working with me on that as well. That freshman year after that season got over, um, and it, it was mind stuff. It was, you know, it's in the room, you make up your mind. And then all of a sudden, every practice, it's a focus. And it's a focus on working on something you suck at, which is by far the least amount of fun. So, you know, I tell my team all the time, like, it's going to be, it would be, it's so much fun to come in here and wrestle live and do the stuff you're good at and beat the hell out of somebody. But if you want to be great, you got to work on the stuff you suck at. Where's your worst position? What's the stuff you, you know, you get, you know, given up risks and you can't ever get to your feet because you're, you know, don't have good position. And so I think just changing that mentality and making it a goal allows you to focus mm-hmm. on it day in and day out in the room. And then, and then I kind of made it my signature move. Like I'm going to stand up as fast as I possibly can to try to make it something that people remember even though that wasn't my goal it started to become like part of what everybody talked to me about so I was aware of it uh, I, I you know I love it you know and yes obviously we want to be remembered for national champions or winning or something but you know just as just as important is the fundamentals you know and and getting out from bottom is is such a a big fundamental of wrestling that you know all the best wrestlers in the world are able to do, or, you know, or maybe in the country because they don't wrestle folk style, you know, overseas, but here in, you know, in this country, 
being able to get out is so important. Well, I think it, even though you say in this country, I think that bottom position develops your, your mental toughness a lot. So even if you're going to wrestle, you know, freestyle, those guys are all going to be good. They're going to be good because they, if they can get out on bottom, they know how to work there. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, I think it's a, it relates. One of my biggest like memory moments is in Carver, just hitting a stand up and turning around and having the kids still in referee's position. And I don't ever remember the crowd. Like I never remember the crowd except for in that moment, everybody like 6,000 fans laughed. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, and so for me, like it obviously was a, a memorable position because mm -hmm. It was a Michigan State kid at home, um, you know, and, and I just remember it like one of those moments where, you know, the whistle blows, I stand up, turn around, face him, and he was still like in referee's position looking at the ref like, are you serious? <laughs> and then everybody laughed, and I like kind of had to like smile to myself. <laughs> so I guess that's good to have those memories about a specific position. Yeah, how about a memorable moment um, your senior year? You guys went out and wrestled um, Utah Valley. Oh, yeah. You know, was that – were you aware that that might be a possibility that that was going to be on the schedule or, like, what What was the going behind that? Yeah, so I didn't know that was a, a kind of a tradition to come out west and, and wrestle uh, senior year against some sort of opponent close to your hometown. Um, I guess they in the past they had done that for other – Iowa wrestlers. So I had no idea until basically the schedule came out. And so um, they were supposed to try to get Boise State and UVU. It fell through. So it was just UVU, but they wrestled, um, you know, we wrestled them in my high school gym, which was, Whoa. which was pretty, you know, it was pretty awesome. You know, even just to have my entire team and all my best friends come to my hometown and, you know, we stayed here like three days and got to eat breakfast at the breakfast joint downtown and went <laughs> to my parents' house and had dinner. And, it, you know, a lot of things that were just, um, they were cool because they were, you know, just a little bit of a break from the grind of what you're doing during the middle of a college season. For sure. Definitely awesome. Wow. In your home gym, man. Wow. That Yeah. Yeah, and it's pretty awesome. Wow, wrestling at elevation. I'll be honest, some of our guys <laughs> not, <laughs> not pretty. I didn't even think about that. Oh, Dan Dennis had to get a takedown with like less than ten seconds to win. <laughs> uh, Morningstar, you know, had. I mean, he he controlled it and he won. It was close, but it was it, he was filling the elevation. So yeah. It was and you were just right at home, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they wrestled us tough, though. You got to give them credit. They, I mean, yeah. it wasn't a close score, but their guys competed for sure. Mm -hmm. So it was good. Yeah, did you have a big, a, a big crowd there? I assume for you. Oh yeah, it was. It was. Uh, our, I mean, our gym isn't huge, but it was packed. Yeah, so I don't know how many people, but it was. It was definitely packed. Nice, and uh, you know, to have a team like Iowa come out there. I mean, I guess yeah, we, Boise fell, fell through, but man, yeah. 
then yeah, they was don't good. get exposed to a team like that, like Iowa or, you know, now Penn State, you know, those big storied programs, Oklahoma State, to go out there and, and expose these fans who love the sport to a program like that also is just a, a good, you know, just a good for the sport. Yeah, and going into it, we'd won two in a row already going into that. So, I mean, basically we had – we were just – with a stacked lineup. I mean, it was just a really good team. What were what were those practices like? Like, once again, to for you to just be able to hold it together, your body, you know, and not get injured in those practice rooms, like, oof. I mean, yeah. were you wrestling like Metcalf all the way up to Erickson? Yeah, exactly. You know, Metcalf would – Metcalf, what was good about him is, well, we were really good friends. We lived together the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so me and him were already close, similar interests. We liked to hunt and stuff like that. So I didn't wrestle him much because I was a lot bigger, but he was so yeah. good at hand, so good at hand fighting that he could, he would hand fight with me anyway and wrestle. He just wouldn't take a lot of shots underneath me because he was a lot <laughs> smaller. Yeah. But yes, there was definitely practices where I wrestled him. To be honest, the person I wrestled a lot, and that was my individual coach at that time was Schwab. Doug Schwab was really, yeah, he wrestled me a ton. And even though he was a little guy, that guy could freaking scrap and he wrestled me a lot and he was really good for me. Um, Cause you know, it, it's a different perspective as a coach wrestling a college guy, cause they can force you to work on those problem areas. And, and even if you're going to live go, he'll like constantly go over the same thing. And when I say go over, I mean, he'll just put you in the same situation because he's good enough to get there over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. forces you to fix it. So, you know, for instance, Pasillo was really good at that. Um, He, you know, now it would be a stall call. He would just lock on the, on that front headlock on the arm and head. And he would just ride the, ride me forever. Just holding that stupid thing. I mean, he won a national title with it against Varner. Yeah. And so he was good at it. And Schwab would get me in that constantly and I'd work on it. And Basilo hit a left-handed high crotch. And and so a lot of lot of things that he did. So I, I wrestled Schwab a lot in the room um in my college years. But you know, you got Chad Beatty and Borschel and uh Erickson, you know, you got good workout partners. So it was just which which one Eric Ludkey was a great yes. one too. And so Ludkey, you know, the thing that was good about Ludkey is he was a poor sport in the best way (laughs) because he did not want to lose anything in practice. And so he was constantly fighting and, and, you know, every single position was tough. And, and if you did take him down, he was going to talk crap nonstop and make sure he pissed you off as much as he possibly could. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he was another good one. Yes, Ludke. He's someone that kind of gets a little lost in the shuffle because of like Perry and yourself and um, you know, some of the other guys, Borschel, Morningstar. But yeah, we kind of forget Ludke was what was he, two well, times? He was, yeah, and he was a transfer, so he only got two years. Yeah. So he was kind of um, you know, on a a shorter time frame. But you know, mm-hmm. he wrestled Askren, pretty tough match. Yeah. Pretty close match. I mean, 
obviously Askren probably thinks he ran from him, but he didn't get he didn't get tagged. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you wrestled um, somebody that Askren always beat Herbert. You know, um, your junior year, you had five losses and three of them were to Herbert. You know, aside from that, though, what made that junior year so special? You got fourth. You only lost to two guys the whole year, Herbert being one and uh, the the kid from Ryder. Yeah, yeah both uh, at the national tournament both in right. overtime. yeah i mean how how bittersweet i guess you could say that that year was because you had such a good year and you were so close to getting it done yeah i think i think it was more my sophomore year i i lost to a bunch of guys that were like already had credentials so i was losing yeah. to robert kish and i was losing to um, I lost to Basilo that year a couple times, and I lost to uh, Tyrell Todd. So most of my losses as a as a sophomore were to All Americans. In fact, I think that's basically just who I lost to were those guys in the Big Ten that all placed that year, and I did too. So they were just, you know, oh, and uh, the Missouri kid Jordan. But but basically. Uh, yeah. Basically, I felt like I was right there. I just wasn't getting the wins over those top level guys to put myself, uh, you know, in the mix for a national title. So I, I kind of just addressed like I got to find ways to capitalize on these close matches and and win against a guy that's that's good. Like I could beat all the guys I was supposed to beat. Well, in my mind, right? So yeah. So I wasn't ranked high going into that year, and I still. I still beat a bunch of guys, but, but my junior year, I felt like I was good enough to win. I just got to go prove it. And, and so, and, you know, it also, a lot of confidence comes from your teammates are all good and you just won a national title as a sophomore, as a team. And there's a lot of hype behind that. And you just train with a purpose. And so I think those things made a difference. Herbert, the first time I wrestled him, I just totally overlooked him at the Midlands Finals. I thought that I was just going to go out there and have my way with him. And the thing that's weird about him is he wrestles really, really well in horrible position. And <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't prepared for that. In my mind, I was like, this guy takes really bad shots, and there's no way he's going to finish that on me. Well, he did, and he did it a bunch because – He's long and he was super strong and he was good there. So uh, he beat me bad. He might have even teched me in the Midlands finals. But a month later, we wrestled in the duel. And man, I freaking, I was close. I was in on a takedown twice to win the match. He beat me three to two. The takedown he got was iffy. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he definitely got it because that's what happened. But it was mm -hmm. iffy. So it was just a much different match. And, and, you know, he, he basically used the edge, you know, rightfully so to, to stop two takedowns. And, and so I felt like I could beat him. Like I really felt like I could beat him. And then I finally got over that hump in the big 10 semis and beat Basilo for the first time. I think I had lost like seven straight to him Jeez. going into the big 10 finals. And then in overtime, I beat Basilo, um in the semis at the big tens. And, and I had Herbert for the third time and, and I just, I just didn't, didn't ever get over that hump of, mm -hmm. of beating, you know, and he's good. Like you got to give him credit. Right. He was, 
he was tough. For whatever reason, I just couldn't figure him out. I had a close match with him in the 2012 trials where he freaking won the ball grab the rules back then. Ball he grab. His, he drew his color out of the hat, and he beat me in the Olympic trials on the ball grab. So just never beat the guy. Mm-hmm. Lots of close matches with him. I had a close match with him at uh, Colorado Springs one time. Just never could, could figure that guy out. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's all you can say. He's he was good. He's, yeah. Um. Luckily, he beat Pasillo in the finals, though. That's all I can say. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, that, that tournament was a little too close. Did you realize it was that close? Or like you know, obviously competing. You're. I don't know how often you're looking at the score. If you're paying too much attention because you're focusing on what you got to do in your job. So, so. Yeah, we definitely were paying attention because. <laughs> We did not wrestle well. I mean, I lost to Umbauer in the quarters, yeah. who I shouldn't have lost to. I mean, I I kind of, I mean, I took him down pretty easy in the first period, rode him for quite a while. Um, I got called for stalling on top, I think, and then they called me again in the overtime period. So um, I just lost. I just didn't wrestle a smart match, and I let one get away from me, and then. Mm-hmm. Morningstar lost a match he shouldn't have and put him in the wrestlebacks. Um, so we were not wrestling well. And and then going into that last day, you know, we had me, Morningstar, and Erickson all won big matches in that Concy semis match. Mm-hmm. That kind of gave us some breathing room. You know, uh, Erickson pins a brisky. Uh, I beat Vince Jones from Nebraska pretty easily. And then Morningstar, I think he beat um, Sponseller, maybe. Somebody from Ohio State, I think. Or maybe it was Mosafei, one of those two. Anyways, we all three won. Yeah. And it was like such, it was kind of just like, okay, we did our job. We all assumed Metcalf was going to win. He didn't. But but luckily, we gave ourselves enough of a, <laughs> enough of a, a breather to – you know, I didn't think that Basile Herbert match was even going to be in play at that point because we had just assumed that Kef would be Caldwell. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, I know as a fan watching it, like it, it just I I don't know. It, 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 I don't even know what to describe it as a fan. You're just like it's almost like you're watching the impossible. At yeah, that so I could tell you from my perspective, because he was I mean, probably was my best friend. Like, obviously, it like it hurt. Like, it hurt me too because he was also our, our leader. Like, he was the guy that kind of, um, you know, led by example and was a good leader in the room. Like, he held everybody accountable because he did it. And mm-hmm. so, I watched him lose to Caldwell in Ohio earlier in the year, and it was it it was like kind of BS. Like, he got splayed all it right. was wasn't like like I was like, man, they really gonna call that. So in my head, I was like, Metcalf's gonna get his revenge, is how I felt. And uh going into it, because I did not feel like that first loss was legit. It was just first period, shoot a takedown, splayed all, and they called the fall like that. So I I didn't feel like that was legit. And I watched it, whatever. So I just felt like he was gonna kind of um have his way with him, to be honest. And obviously. Caldwell had a good plan and he was super aggressive. And sometimes when you, when you're 
when you tighten up, it makes all that stuff easier if you're just loose. And Caldwell was loose and he had nothing to lose. He was the guy with nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And and it and it showed. What really surprised me is how like the end of that match, everybody always has that strong opinion about like, oh, he went and shoved him during his backflip. Man, it blows my mind that people have a view of there's five seconds left on the clock. Like we don't stop. Like, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter what the situation of that match was. You don't stop wrestling ever in our room. Like if there's time on the clock, you're not going to stop. Had nothing to do with the situation. Like, Mm -hmm. and I know that from his perspective also, because like, he didn't think like, Oh, he's going to celebrate. I'm going to go shove him. Like, it's like, no, there's time on the clock. We don't stop ever. So that was really what was weird to me is that reaction. And he has to go to all these freaking interviews and committee hearings on this. It was such bull crap. Like it was like, come on guys doing a backflip with time in the match and you're supposed to stand there and watch him. No. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. no, I, and just knowing Metcalf and the way he wrestled, like that's just, that's the way he always wrestled yeah. until the very end hard all the time. I mean, so yeah, and and if you know him personally, like he is so like the reason why I really like the guy and will always like Metcalf, he is like genuine to a fault. Like he is himself in every situation. Like he doesn't try to pretend to be someone else or anything else, but he's extremely nice off the mat. Like almost to the point where people are like, Man, that's you're nothing like what you seem like. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. Wrestling, he has a mentality of of winning, and and it, a lot of times, man, he won those matches before he even stepped on the mat because people were scared of him. Yeah. And that mentality of being aggressive and hard nosed and tough, like it works. And so he's not really that way off the mat, but I I think that's the best the best ability to be able to turn that on and off mm-hmm. yeah i couldn't do it <laughs> I mean, so props to him for being able to do that um you know i do want to end on this here though you know you said something earlier where you were inducted into the hall of fame um your your high school hall of fame correct yeah and it gave you the opportunity to sort of sit back and look at your career as a whole you know, for probably one of the first times that you've ever had to do that. What what do you, what do you think about, you know, when you look back on your career? Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) You say, you ask that question and I, I still go back to the same like default, almost (laughs) like it's just such a hard to accept answer basically. So you ask me that question, and all I think about is I want to add to the coaching titles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. they, they end up being to the to, to our high school hall of fame, and it's about my high school athletics, but they include my coaching credentials on there. And in my head, when they did that, I'm thinking, well, maybe you guys should wait because I want to win a bunch more. Mm-hmm. So so I think it's good because when I looked at my career, I, I use it as motivation for my coaching side. Like what could I do different on this side of the, of the fence to try to help these kids that uh, I want to be successful and what I maybe 
could have had that could make me better. So I look back on it. There's all these things, but, and a lot of the credentials that I'm proud of, but a lot of them were just short of the goals I have. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you're a three-time All-American, not a national champ. You were third on the world or on the national team. You weren't on the national team. You were, you know, I, I could win a national international tournament, but I couldn't. And I could beat guys that were world medalists, but I wasn't putting it together at the right time. So really I viewed that and I looked at it and I was like, okay, I wasn't able to quite get there personally in my athletic goals, but I want to be able to personally get there in my coaching goals. And so I looked at it as motivation Mm -hmm. and I, and it helps, helps me move forward. And I also accept it now. Like I have, I don't have any like hard feelings about my career or anything like that. It is what it is. I was, I was good, not great. And so that's kind of where it is. And now I just want to use that to try to be great at this level, which, you know, it's been good. It's we're getting better and we're having success. And, and that's, that's nice to put it into that side of things. Mm -hmm. Did it take you a while to maybe accept your career? It for sure did because I was bitter when I left, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'm the truth is like, like I said, I've said good things about Tom. He's really good at coaching college kids. He's could be better at relationships when he's ready for people to move on. I don't think he handles that well. So I left there bitter, just like most people do for whatever reason. And so because of that, I kind of didn't know what my real potential was. I was like, did I not succeed because of this? I don't think it's that case anymore. Like at the time I did, I kind of was like, Hey, I'm not sure. Did I not have success because we didn't have the support we needed? And that's kind of how I looked at it at that time. But now I, I put more of the fault on myself, you know? Yeah. And so, so I think at first there was some, um, not accepting it, but I think I could equally sit here and say a lot of my success is attributed to him. So it's, uh, it's just one of those things where I'm, I'm completely okay with it. Now it just took some time and it took some time by putting my efforts into something else that I enjoy, which is, which is coaching. Yeah. And how do you, you know, that, that can be tough to go from being a high level athlete and then transitioning into coaching and meeting your athletes needs, you know, by putting how you did it aside, you know, um, not everyone is going to be able to compete like Philip Ketty did and win the way you won, you know? So was that sort of a transition at first coaching high school athletes? Yeah. Yeah. It's totally different because the, the biggest thing is, you have every level of kid and uh, if yeah. you want to win, you need them all. Like if you want to win as a team, you need all these kids. You need the kid that's going to come in here and he's only going to practice during the school year during season, but you still need them. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to drive those kids away by having these, like these unrealistic expectations of off season club stuff. You almost have to just try to give the kids that are high level as much as you can while also trying to make all these other kids feel accepted 
uh, doing basically minimal stuff because you still need them to have a, a full true team. So for me at first, it was like, I want everybody to be on this high level. I want everybody to, to try to reach their maximum potential. But the truth is there's some kids that they just are going to wrestle during the season and they want to win a state title, but it's not the most important thing in their life. And, and that's okay. Cause one thing I know is, you know, I want these kids to live life and enjoy it too. Mm-hmm. And I think if they're doing that, they can be a better wrestler from knowing what they want. Yeah. And, and they'll just be also just a better person, you know, um, and I, you know, that's one thing you're probably working at too, is making these, these kids better, better people and set up for success when they move on to college or, or, or the workforce or wherever they're going next. Yeah. I wish I had some magic wands sometimes, <laughs> to wave. but I do think that as far as wrestling goes, it's probably the best, um, you know, I, I can connect with a kid through a season of wrestling to help them understand what it means to be a responsible adult probably better than I ever will in a classroom or even even from a football perspective, just because it's so, you know, you got to know these kids so, so well, their ins and outs, what makes them tick. Um, you got to empathize with them, which I definitely struggled with at the beginning was, you know, tough love with a high school kid doesn't usually help that much. You can get a lot more out of them with empathy and helping them know you understand how they feel. And then, then that it seems to work. So I've definitely made my mistakes mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure I'll make more, but I think it kind of helps me grow as well, which is nice. Yeah. And how about, um, you know, last thing here, how about as a, as a husband and a, um, a father, I mean, what are you up to now in terms of, in terms of that? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So today's actually my second daughter's birthday. So she just, no kidding. She just turned eight years old today. So it's cool because, you know, I have four daughters, no boys, Mm -hmm. no no sons, which, you know, if you asked me before I had kids, you would say, of course, you want to have a son. Um, But once you have them, you're like, man, I would never trade any one of them to have it be a different way. So um, it's been pretty awesome. I don't think any of them are going to wrestle. They all like totally act like that's a crazy question to ask them. (laughs) And, and that's probably okay because uh, I have a lot of uh, kids that I coach that are like my kids, you know, they're like my boys, you know, I have them for four or five years. Um, I get to know these kids. So the family side is awesome. You know, being around family, having four kids and and it just seems like I'm in a good place as far as as far as that goes, because um, we enjoy our our lives as far as not just work. You know, mm-hmm. we enjoy what we do and where we live and, you know, stuff like that. I get to go shoot a, a big mule deer and an elk coming up this <laughs> weekend and those right. types of things are fun to me. Yeah, well, what what'd you get your daughter for her birthday? So she loves like drawing and art. So she got like a tilting art desk and, uh, and stuff that she, like an easel that she can paint on and a bunch Mm -hmm. of things that she can use for art supplies and then the normal like shoes and clothes. But 
the big item was the was the art desk. Nice, nice. Well, geez, I I appreciate you spending a little bit of your daughter's birthday here talking to me about yeah. about wrestling. Yeah, we we did all the presents and stuff, and I had to come into work today anyway, so it's no problem. Yeah. So, what do you do for work? So I teach at the high school. I'm a okay. A, I'm a PE teacher, uh, fitness for life, and freshman. So mostly run workouts and stuff like that. I, I did teach health in the past, but I'm pretty much done with that. So teaching and coaching is, is my, my gig now, what which I you... never, I never would have predicted and that I would be a teacher. Yeah. And I really do. I really do enjoy it. I think kids, they keep you young. I think they're good for you to have that, like almost that free um, energy. They're just so, you know, they, they're just so naive to like, maybe the struggles sometimes there's a, their problems are so, I mean, they're big to them, but they're just simpler in concept. So mm -hmm. I like, I like doing it. It's been fun. Well, how did you get into teaching? You know, because you're, were you a health and health major in college? Yes. Yeah. So in college, I, yeah. In college was health and sports studies, but I also got a degree in recreation management. So I got two, but they, they, they tried to get me here. They hired me as a health teacher. Okay. So, so their, their goal was to get a wrestling coach and a teacher. So when I came here, I, I took the job as a teacher. So that was a coming from my high school coach. He had talked to the principal and the athletic director and was like, Hey, He's thinking about moving home. I think you need to try to get him uh, come here to teach. So it was mostly, mostly due to him. So did how did you become a teacher then? Did you have to like pass the teaching like or whatever it is out there? Yes, I had to get a I had to get a teaching certificate. So right. basically, okay. I was allowed like a probation period. They could hire you, but within a certain amount of time, you had to pass certain classes and mm -hmm. um, go through different like trainings and then at the end you had to you had to pass a test gotcha so I, I had to i had to get a, a teaching license afterward because i didn't go into it as a te um you know i didn't go to school to be a teacher gotcha so what did you go to school to be then like what you know 12 years ago or whatever you know honestly i had no idea you know <laughs> i was going there to get a degree and i was mm -hmm. wrestling you know and, and my goal was focused on wrestling and it wasn't the academic side i just like i enjoyed sports medicine stuff and health so i did that and then i had a ton of college credits coming in and then that red shirt year so i was like well you know i like recreation management which i took a bunch of business classes as you know my gen ed so i had enough to go get a second degree with recreation management so there wasn't a a specific focus on what i was going to do mm -hmm. um it was just, uh, man, opportunities. Just I, opportunities came up, and I just tried to take advantage of those opportunities based on what I liked. Mm -hmm. well, cool. That's weird. How, weird how things work that way. I know. I was wow. Yeah. I mean, did did you plan on doing a podcast your whole life? Probably <laughs> not. Right? No, no. Uh, you're you're right. <laughs> um. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Like I like I said to you in my message to you, um, I was in high school when you were in Iowa. Um, 
and I don't know what it was. I just, just the, I like the way you went about your business. Um, that you just ended up being my favorite wrestler. You know, I always go through phase like, so like you were my favorite during that time. And then, you know, I kind of moved on afterwards and then this guy was my favorite, you know, but you were my favorite just cause you just went about your business. You were one of the guys that, um, you know, everyone remembers Metcalf, you know, and, and people like that and Borschel. Um, so I always like the guys who put in the work and maybe don't get, the spotlight as much and so i felt like that fit you to a t you were just someone who you could always rely on in that lineup um to do your job to get the job done and yeah anyway i just thought you were just the epitome of iowa wrestling and i just i enjoyed watching you you know well i i appreciate that you know when you say that maybe it's a blessing because it might help me now develop a lot of those types of kids you know you can have the studs and the stars but you got to have a bunch of guys that are just gonna be reliable be well, consistent yeah. and reliable yes exactly and that and that was you and i i just uh, like i said i everyone loved metcalf and rightfully so i mean geez he, he was fun to watch and you know and was great for the team and like like the focal point but then there was always Phil Kenny, who was at 184, who was just holding down that spot. And it was like, what would we do without Phil, without Phil Ketty? You know, if we didn't have him, who were we going to plug in? You know, so just as much as it was Metcalf winning a national title, and that's what won us a team title. It was also Phil Ketty coming in and, and going from 14 and 16 to becoming a three-time All-American. That's just, I guess that's just the way I'll get off my soapbox. That's just the way <laughs> I see it, you know. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I appreciate you doing this. Um, sitting down. Of course, and yeah. Out. It's been it's been fun. Yeah, good. Um, about a couple times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a couple things. Um, one, I introduced my guests with their walkout song. Um, so if you want to just reach out to me, you can let me know now, or I can touch base with you later when I'm about to release the episode. You know, just let me know what you like as your walkout song. Um. And then two, then? what's that? What I had then or what I want now? <laughs> yeah, either one, whatever. You can have it be right what you want now um, or what you had then. It doesn't, doesn't I don't make even know if I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll touch base with you. Um, let me just make a note here. And then um, another one is just a picture for social media. You know, one that you feel comfortable being circulated um, could be of you wrestling, could be of you coaching, it could be of you and your family. Um, doesn't really matter whatever you feel comfortable just being put on social media. So okay. perfect. Just yeah. send on messenger. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um <clears throat> did, I, did you also see real quick before you go that Dan Erickson now is coaching at Air Force with so there's two former Hawkeyes now. Your teammates, two former teammates. Yeah, two teammates. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I, I didn't know, you know, Erickson tried to get back into it like he didn't stay and wrestle with this much after college he did a little yeah. bit but i think he probably had a little bit of you know feeling like he was he, he kind of missed out on something that he obviously wanted to pursue so he got back into it last year and i think that opened up the window and i'm happy for him because i feel like um obviously he was good he was actually my my roommate in the dorms our freshman year 
<laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because he was from Idaho and I was from Utah. So they were like, oh, that makes sense. Put them together. <laughs> so I'm happy for him. I think it's good for him. And I think uh, it's cool for Air Force and Colorado Springs that he's back into wrestling in, in a coaching perspective. Yeah, didn't he win some international tournament or or some I thought he won some tournament like I don't want to call it an old timers tournament because it's not like he's old but a like a senior, senior level yeah yeah I think he did pretty well I'm not exactly sure but I, I know he was training for it and, and back into it so that's good for him especially because you have stuff to train for like that it's it's always good for your body and mind to do that stuff yeah what about you I guess before I let you go do you do you kind of still roll around on the mat or do you still train or do you still? I like to, man, I really like to, especially we had a really good kid this last year. Um, my body speed up, obviously every, yeah. every old wrestler says that. So I got to be smart about it. Mostly I just got to be smart about how I lift and I can usually prevent myself from getting hurt, but I do like to wrestle and roll around with the guys. If I can, mm -hmm. we had some good, really good big guys this last season. So it was nice. I wish sometimes I wasn't always running practice so that I could <laughs> them a little bit more. Yeah. Do they know that when, when you're about ready to wrestle, it's time to strap it on. They're like, Oh, oh coach Kennedy's preparing to wrestle. <laughs> they know probably because they see me put my headgear on, <laughs> <laughs> I never, which I never go without. So they're really? like, oh. yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I got some, even in all my international tournaments, unless they made me take it off, I wore it. So wow. at the Euregan UWW, which I don't even know if it was UWW then, whatever they called it, mm -hmm. they they posted the results of the Euregan and I had, beat, I had a big win to wrestle for third, you know, the, the match that put me into the third and you know, third or fifth, you know, how stupid yeah. that is. But I won that match against a former world bronze medalist and the UWW website wrote the result and they said, Phil Ketty beats whatever the Russian's name was, uh, like seven, three with his headgear on. <laughs> so they listed the result. They listed the result of the match. And they thought it was significant enough to write that I had my headgear. <laughs> <laughs> Why oh, yeah. did you just wear your headgear? It was just I just I just don't have cauliflower here, and I just always felt like, you know, I I didn't want it, but it was more I felt comfortable. Like I felt like I could almost like like you got a helmet on, like it could just mm -hmm. be a hammer with your head if you have your headgear on. So I just felt tougher with it almost. Mm -hmm. So I I liked wearing it. We got to install microwave oven, custom kitchen deliveries. We got to move these refrigerators. We got to move these color TVs. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. Special thanks to my guest Philip Ketty for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Cover art created and designed by Kristen Gill. Please feel free to rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and my Facebook page to hear more of my content. And don't forget, check out my website at letstalkwrestlingpodcast.my.canva.site. And as always, be sure to tune in to hear the next guest of Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Take care. We'll see you next time.